Pete, welcome to the Blockchain People podcast. Totally unscripted. How are you doing? Very good, thanks. How are you? Man, you have, I'm very good. You have the coolest logo I've seen in crypto so far. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it actually, it's probably I mean, the best, yeah. Yeah, we, ha we have like a little GIF as well, which shows the burping coins and a bit of a sound effect as well. But that's partly why we chose the name, right? It's quite, it's quite a cool and uh, unique uh, logo that can go with it. What, what was the story on the name, quickly? Yeah, so, I mean, when we first started the company, we wanted to pick something which was a bit fun and friendly. I know some people may think it's uh, not too keen on it, but we wanted something that was not only fun and friendly, sort of represented us, but um, quite playful. And of course, we needed to make sure that all the social medias and the websites were free. So we went with something like that. And uh, yeah, I think it's turned out quite well. You you get farther in crypto with stuff like that, I think. Like one would argue that MetaMask and Uniswap are popular and widely used just because they have like these pretty creatures attached to them, don't they? Exactly. I mean, like... If you take web domain like companies like GoDaddy, right? If someone come up to you and said GoDaddy.com, you'd think it was a bit of a, a strange name, but people remember it, right? You know, when you speak to them for the first time, they're like Coinbird, and they're like, yeah, and then and then it's memorable. So that, it, it's achieving the the right goals that we wanted to achieve. And then you're trading burps, and it just <laughs> like the joke keeps escalating. There we go. Yeah, exactly. So it's completely on brand. You can imagine like the we have a lot of uh, well, a lot a lot to play with when we start messing around with that burps. And of course, our token will be called burps. So. Man, I see that you have a really recent, very cool launch. So if you want to elaborate a bit on that, if you want to tell people about it, and then we can talk about the specifics and why it matters. So the floor for, for you. Yeah. I mean, everyone's seen it recently is the, the, the big interest in NFTs, right? So, I mean, we're an existing cryptocurrency trading platform at Coinbird, but we saw this, this opportunity for there's tons of people that are trying to get into, into NFTs and DeFi quite generally. Um, but yeah, what we're looking to create is this, is this single app, which will allow you to buy and sell NFTs straight out of um, marketplaces with fiat, right? With GBP, with euros. I mean, what we, what we see is that, There's a ton of value which is left locked in places like OpenSea because the only way you can purchase a lot of that is is through is through crypto, right? It's Ethereum or some of the other some of the other crypto. So it's quite a um, yeah, it's a bit of a struggle I think for people who are really want to get into NFTs but realize they've got to have an understanding how of how non-custodial wallets like MetaMask work. They need to know where to purchase the Ethereum. So we're here to smooth out the, that entire process. Okay, so this wallet, is it now available for people to use? So we've got our first alpha version of the non-custodial. It's still very early. There's a lot of functionality which isn't quite there yet that we're in the process of building. So we released our, our alpha wallet on iOS and, um, well, App Store and, and Google Play Store last week or the week before. Um, so it allow you to connect into websites like Uniswap or, or uh, places where, where you need to interact with them if you scan the QR code through Wallet Connect. Um, but you will see every couple of weeks there's new products, new features which will be released, um, all aiming for this end of June product launch, the full, the full bells and whistles, everything will be included by then. And for the... Yeah, for, for, for the person that didn't pay 69 million for an NFT <laughs> over the last month, for the person that doesn't even own an NFT and is probably thinking, this is a token, what do you mean I cannot have it in my regular wallet? What, what do you tell them? How do you explain the need for a wallet that's specifically geared towards uh, NFTs? Yeah, I mean, there is no specific wallet that that is geared only towards NFTs, right? We're seeing that there are places like MetaMask which can manage them and hold them, but the I guess for for our customers anyway, we've got these existing retail customers who are very comfortable working with fiat like GBP and Euro, but the for them to understand how to get this non-custodial wallet and for them to understand where to buy Ethereum for for the everyday person is quite difficult. So we set out to create this unique Um, aimed wallet which would just be specifically to, at the beginning anyway uh, on on uh, uh, focused on nfts and yeah i just i think there's a huge gap in the market and that's what sort of why we're we are where we are today and why we've raised a, a ton of money to build it because we've got a ton of belief that this is the next big thing a, a ton doesn't cut it in this podcast what's the what's the amount <laughs> okay so so far we've raised two million uh right. but we're raising another three million so i mean yeah like 
five million in private. We're going to go public. We're looking at the latest end of June. So if there are if there are people who are interested in buying our Burp token, maybe on a Uniswap pool or some of the centralized exchanges, keep an eye out for us. Before the end of June, we will have it released on there. And it just, yeah, it powers our whole ecosystem. And it, it I mean, build, join us with the community, help us build out this product. We're going to build up some, some amazing stuff in the next, next several months. So I've got some key partnerships with, with the likes of Sandbox.Game, which are doing amazingly at the minute. Um, there, uh, Sebastian Bourget is joining as an advisor. So that shows how much faith he has in our projects. We've got the likes of uh, Pranksy from NFC Boxes, again, another massive name in the field, and, and Avastars as well, which is a really cool product. It's a bit like Avatars, but you're able to have your own um, yeah, generative NFT, which is really cool. But yeah. Is it harder to raise money when you're aiming for to create a wallet, even if it's a wallet with new functions and with yeah stuff that's not currently in the market is it harder to raise money for that being that there are already so many wallets as opposed to like if you were running an ico for just a different thing yeah it's definitely i mean what I, what we were hearing at the beginning was this is you know this is quite a saturated market you know you're not you're not going to be the first non-custodial wallet out there there's tons of them who've done it before what is your usp but what is your unique selling point that separates you from the rest of the rest of the crowd in the wallet space and we're we're like, look, we're going to integrate natively into functionality on NFT marketplaces to allow our customers to buy and sell NFTs super seamlessly. None of the other wallets do that. They're, they're much more broader wallets, right? With, with a focus generally on DeFi. But for us, and what's worked really well, and the investors obviously believe in us, is to have this focused approach on a specific vertical within DeFi. And for us, it's NFTs. I mean, I, I joke and I say like, If there was any one specific vertical within DeFi, I mean, you can talk about like interest-bearing accounts and lenders, borrowers, NFTs, like what lends best to coin Burp as a brand? And I think it's NFTs, right? We're, we're trying to be playful, quite visual. Um, so that is our main focus. And yeah, I mean, we got we got very good backing from from investors so far. And yeah, I'm sure we'll close this five million in in, in a month or two. All right, if you want we can go towards nfts because they're currently the biggest topic right that's the thing uh beauty influencers are explaining nowadays and i was just talking to michael beck the other day from unn finance here on the podcast if you guys want to check it out uh, and he was saying well he quoted jp morgan but i think it was actually someone else that said this that he was anyways big investor back in the day <laughs> sorry that he would know the market was about to crash when he was getting stock tips from his shoeshine boy. And he was uh, <laughs> com comparing this to the current NFT situation and to the Wall Street bet situation before that, where everyone was just explaining it and everyone was giving advice. So how do you see, do you think eventually the NFT technology is going to deviate a bit from the current trend of NFT art? Definitely. I think there's a huge um, opportunity here for, for, I mean, NFT is quite general. I mean, NFT is right. Non-fungible token, unique properties representing in the digital world. And I think what we've seen is the most natural crossover from the real world into digital is, is art, right? It's quite for, for people to understand and purchase art. I think in the real world was quite difficult. The um, provenance of art is quite difficult to, to show, right? Who is the true owner? Was it actually them? who've done the artwork whereas we've got this amazing blockchain technology which is supported by nfts and that's really unlocked it what i see really interesting at the minute and i really hope the gaming industry moves more more closely towards it is something similar to what sandbox of game are doing right they're doing like the ownership economy so if you take uh if you take a lot of these games in real life in real world right you, you purchase an item an in-game item like a sword or a, or a hat or something like that right you pay the publisher or the game producer that money and you're locked in with that. I mean, maybe you can trade it for in-game gold, but it's, 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 it's very locked in. You can't trade it so much outside of a new game. It's not compatible with other games. And what, I guess, Sandbox.Game, and it's a great, yeah. I, I mean, I love what Sandbox.Game are doing, so I thought this was a great opportunity to bring them up, but they are creating this ownership economy where users of their platform can actually trade, openly trade it and create their own content to sell to other players, right? It's a bit like, If you think of Minecraft and you create these really cool swords or um, yeah, these robots or whatever it is within there, you can create it. If you're, if you're a producer, if you're a creator, you produce it and you can sell it to other players in the game. And it creates this really cool creator economy. And that's where I think it's moving next. I think we're, we're going to move over to, to 
not only the artwork, but I think the gaming industry will will move over to this this really cool NFT um, space in DeFi too. Uh, are you acquainted with Pokemon, which is basically a Pokemon knockoff on Polkadot? I, I know, I don't know that one. I know Pokemon because I think Pokemon Blue was the first game I ever had in my game. But, <laughs> okay. No, I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, I, I, apl- I applied for, because, you know, these days it pays extra to apply for everything, basically, right? <laughs> If you, I know a lot of people that got a lot of rewards just because they created an NFT of an image they had on their computer and they're getting airdrops of thousands of dollars after this. So it pays to be curious. And I, just because of that, I applied to get like a Polkamon egg, which I sur- guess will allow me to have a creature at some point. But yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you. Do you see these games and these in-game NFTs eventually being interoperable and having extra value for people? Or how do you justify using tokens for this kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, we're doing, I mean, it's funny you mentioned that because we're doing something very cool with with generative NFT art, right? So just to give you a bit of a glimpse into what we're building, we built this really novel raffle system. So when what you see around, right, if you have a certain amount of tokens of a certain project, you stake it and you'll receive staking rewards or interest rewards, right? It's very common. Everyone's doing that. But what we've built out is another couple of layers to make it even more lucrative for a person who wants to interact with our ecosystem. So first and foremost, when you stake tokens with us, not only do you get the interest on the tokens, but you also get entry into this raffle system, right? So you get these raffle tickets, these free raffles, and the prizes that are on offer are what's been given to us by these partners. So let's take Sandbox Up Game as an example, one of our key lead partners. They will give us these custom Coinbird heroes, which are usable in their space, right? So you have right. a chance of winning these NFTs, which everyone knows has some really cool value in OpenSea. And you have a chance as a freebie just by staking your tokens to have a chance of winning these, these, um, yeah, these cool NFTs. And we've gone one step further than that. Every single NFT that we have on, on offer as a prize within our raffle will be ranked from common to legendary, like every game, right? You've got common items, uncommon, rare, epic, legendary. And depending on the level of rarity, you will have a multiplier effect assigned to it. So let's say it's the this Coinbird hero that we've been gifted by Sandbox of Game, we would class that legendary. Limited edition, maybe there's only five in circulation ever. Now, if you win this, this NFT, and it, you win it, it goes back to your non-custodial wallet. The reason it's variable rarity is we apply a multiplier effect to it. So legendary NFTs will have like a two times multiplier. So now whatever you stake in future, rather than getting the base yield that you usually get, you get the two times multiplier on top. And it's a really cool feedback mechanism for us to continue partnering with guys like Sandbox of Game and, and Avastars and, and NFT Boxes and encourage them to, to yeah, want to win and stake with us. And yeah, that's that's something extra cool that I'm not seeing anyone else doing in the space at the minute. Okay. Is that the the main reason for you having a token within your wallet to be able to allow people to stake it? There's a number of different reasons. I mean, we we token holders can govern our can govern our uh, our products so initially we want to open up our coinbub wallet to the DAO. token holders through through snapshot.io will be able to to propose um ideas and vote on them uh, for how we want to change the coinbub wallet we're also i mean we're not again what i say is like we're not coming into this wallet space from fresh there's a lot of other companies who are building up the customer base from scratch or building the product from scratch because they've offshoot off of another company and they've got this really cool idea We've been an existing cryptocurrency trading platform since 2018. So we've got this customer base. We've got the centralized trading platform already. So not only we get all these rewards, these cool rewards in NFTs and staking rewards, we also offer additional rewards on the centralized side of things. So just trading fees, withdrawal fees, they'll all be reduced if you hold or stake Burp. So yeah, there's a number of reasons that we've we've attributed to Burp um, to make sure it has value within our ecosystem. And on top of that, you have the, like you said, the existing customer base. You already did the regulatory difficult part, which is being able to accept cash. Like you're already ahead of everyone just by being in the space for two years, which isn't a lot of time in the regular finance world, but in crypto, every minute counts, right? You, And this is just opening the floor for them for them questions already. But <laughs> you're introducing a DAO. You're introducing a DAO, uh-huh. and it's interesting to me to see how these 
obviously centralized, necessarily centralized, some would say, companies such as a wallet start moving towards decentralized models. So how, how do you how do you transition? How do you make it smooth and possible? How do you stay regulated in a tough jurisdiction like the UK when you're trying to go DAO based? Yeah, sure. So firstly, it's a very interesting challenge for us to, to look at. And that's the reason, we, partly the reason we wanted to do it, right? There are, if you compare a DAO model or DAO governance model on a decentralized app against a centralized app, they're completely different. I mean, if you say, let's say, let's say Uniswap, for example, runs on a DAO and their token holders can vote on changing the fee that's paid to liquidity providers, right? It's quite simple, right? You, you open up a proposal, a load of people vote on maybe changing it from 0.3% to 0.2%. And if it's approved, you can just write that change to a smart contract and it's done, right? It's quite simple to do those changes. The difficulty you have with centralized is that the decision-making process and implementation is much more tricky, right? They may vote into something like to add, add a new pair for, I don't know, uni, let's say Unitoken again. Unitoken, we want a new, new pair, trading pair for Unitoken to um gbp because we're a gbp exchange right it's not as easy as just adding a new pair in uniswap there's a lot of legwork behind it we have to create a new wallet we need to need to add liquidity right so in my view the way we would do it is we would have these delegated individuals who would represent the community uh, the, the the token holders and again they would be voted in and you probably have some key prominent figures in there and they would voice the concerns and and, and the ideas on behalf of the community to us and it would be up for them and in collaboration with us to implement these sorts of things. But there are a lot of challenges around the regulatory side. I guess long-term, the way I imagine it will work is we will split up the centralized trading platform into a number of verticals of which only a few of them can actually be voted on from the DAO. Um, this is our long-term ambition because I think the DAO is, is a revolutionary concept to have a DAO governing a centralized exchange. But Like you said, there will be regulatory concerns from some people, and that's something that I'm looking to 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 look at and review and and build around. But for me, it's the future, and that's why I want to build it. When you look at DAOs, they're not even that complex, right? <laughs> like the current DAOs that are out there, you see the platforms, and they're nothing from another world. It's revolutionary technology, but it looks super simple. When do you think this mindset shift started happening? Can can you walk us through it? Yeah, I, I can't. I mean, I wouldn't be able to particularly uh, pick up a point in time, but the idea of having the token holders so aligned with what you're trying to build, right? Everyone's trying to make the right, every single right decision at the right time. And some of the greatest ideas, no doubt, will come from the community and token holders. So to have this incentive alignment that the token holders are trying to make the best decisions on behalf of the company because the token price will continue going up. I just think it's a great way To, to, to build a, a, an approach product development and community development and sort of thing. So when I first came across it, I was like, look, I mean, we're doing some stuff in DeFi. We've got to have to build this DAO out and trying to extract as much value from there as possible. So that is, I mean, I think when we started looking at DeFi was maybe six or 12 months ago. And ever since then, I was like certain this is how our approach is going to be. You see also that, In the game of wallets, there are many options, right? And there are some options that are favored over others. You obviously, non-custodial is always preferable than custodial. And recently, I've gotten really interested in the concept of social recovery wallets. So are you guys planning to do something in line of social recovery? Or what are your views on, on these systems? Yeah, I mean, I think one of, the, one of the difficult concepts for people to comprehend is the is how you can recover wallets. Um, I mean, let's say it's our custom base, right? I think if they were first told that they need to store a 12 word seed on a piece of paper and lock it away, it's quite scary for them. So how can you smooth out this recovery process? And I think one of our, I think Argent, I think Argent currently do it, if I remember correctly, and they do a really good job of these social, I think it is the future of being able to do it, right? Is Is knowing that, If you lose that 12 word, uh, 12 word seed, it's not the end. It's not that your, your coins are going to be wiped, but there are ways to recover it. So it is something that we're looking into. It's one of the features that we'd like to build um, because I think it is one way that we can smooth out this transition from allowing our customers to use the and reap the benefits of the non-custodial wallet without being scared that something might happen and they lose all their tokens. Anyone that thinks this 
things are not scary or the things like the current models are smooth they should just go and try and onboard their mother onto <laughs> onto <laughs> cryptocurrency because i tried the other day <laughs> and, and she wasn't happy with that this is 12 words that you have to keep forever and you cannot put them anywhere online and then that yeah. opens the floor for okay is my email secure enough no it's not then why it is then who am i basically <laughs> and, and it, it's a scary i mean I, i've actually spoke to my mom about it before right and she, all she's used to is if i lose my debit card if i lose my card i just ring the bank up and say i need access or it, it, it's so simple it's such a it's such a simple concept and to be able to tell them that there is no central authority that's you're going to be able to do that with it's completely scary they'd rather not venture into it which i think is is the blocker right they just don't want to risk the the chance of them losing access to their money um so anything that can smooth out that, that onboarding process and allowing the wider audience and community to get involved is can only be a good thing you were talking about argent which is who introduced this social recovery thing and i don't feel bad talking about other wallet speakers as you mentioned you're moving into other verticals not really direct competition there and this social recovery process is basically you choose a couple people that have the same wallet and they are basically able to identify that it is you that is trying to access in case you lose your seed phrase uh, i think those kind of systems many people say they're not they're moving away from decentralization right but at some point you have to have these systems in order for people to do something as basic as regain access to their money. Are there other trends that people should be watching out for in coming from the wallet side of things, from the adoption side of things at this very base level? Um, I mean, firstly, just on the wallets, I'm a big, I'm pro any wallet in this space, Like anyone who's helping push forward crypto, decentralized finance, I'm a big believer in like, I'm, The, the stuff that Argent are doing is great and a ton of other non-custodial wallets are doing really cool stuff as well. But I think the 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 the, the big blocker for me has to be the, the seed phrase, I think. And I understand what where people have these concerns is it's not true decentralized finance. But I think if we're really to attract a wider audience and community to get into DeFi, some of the stuff, there's, there's a balancing act, right? It's, it's, you can't have everything one way and you, you need to have some compromise to to try and smooth out some certain things. And I think from our, from our research anyway, and the feedback we've got, the scariest thing is the, is the backup is knowing that you and only you could be responsible for the recovery of your, of your seed phrase or recovering your wallet. And, um, but that's the biggest blocker for me. And that's the one that we'd like to tackle quite, quite quickly as well. Yeah. And on the, Of course, if you're owning NFTs that are worth a lot of money, you want to be <laughs> as secure as possible, right? There's obviously... Huh? Sorry? Yeah, just just on that, I mean, I think... I'll, I'll give you an example. I mean, if you, if you look at Flow, Flow Blockchain and NBA Top Shot and what they've done, they've been able to prove an obvious, humongous demand for people in the real world who want to get into NFTs to get into the collectible nature, right? And the big thing for us is there is already this, this existing humongous um, library of NFTs existing on places like OpenSea, where they, it's just the value is completely locked to Ethereum and it's locked to, it's locked to understand how non-custodial wallets work. So what we are building is this custodial NFT solution that will allow our customers to buy out these NFTs with fiat. And I think we do, we resolve a couple of issues straight off the bat, right? There's no need. Oh, I mean, a great, we'd love to have people own, own their keys and be able to, to look after their crypto and store the 12-word seed phrases and stuff like that. But it's not necessarily what the wider community wants. And I think sometimes we get left like in this bubble where you hear, all you hear is about decentralization, decentralization, decentralization. But to really grow the market, we need to open the floodgates to these guys. And there is a bit of a, yeah, there is a bit of a battle because you need to have this, this custodial solution to enable fiat for you to really unlock the value in, in NFTs. And for those that might be wondering what you mean by saying these tokens are locked on OpenSea, for example, can you elaborate on that? Or on yeah, the reasons sure. behind I mean, it? Yeah, it's just, I mean, try and, buy, try and buy an NFT from OpenSea. I think the, I know the guys have raised a ton of money recently, like over 20 million and like good on them. I know they're going to do amazing things in the space as they have done already. Um, but you can't buy them with fiat. Like the, the, I mean, I know we're, 
Bitcoin maxis are very anti-fiat, anti-banks, but uh, I'm sure we all collectively want the community and, and the industry to grow, right? So, yeah, if you want to buy an NFT from OpenSea, you're going to have to pay in ETH or pay in whichever cryptocurrency which um, that, they, that the NFT owner accepts as a former currency. But there's still the assumption you need to know how to buy it. You need to know how to set up a non-custodial wallet. It's it's not tricky. And you said like your mum, right? If you tell her to set up a MetaMask wallet and she's been told to back up this seed phrase and she's like, what's the seed phrase? It's very confusing. A lot of people just stop at that first hurdle. So what we were trying to build is this, this solution where it's much in line what you would expect at the bank, right? Or, or logging into a website, logging into Facebook, right? So you use a name and password, we would send money, deposit money. It's very in line with a lot of, um, yeah, a lot, a lot of features that they would expect from other products. And um, yeah, for us to be able to build that, I think it smooths out a lot of the journey to, for people to get into the NFT space on, on OpenSea specifically. Obviously. So, and since you were touching on that point, on Bitcoin maximalists. One would argue that Bitcoin itself is an NFT, right? That it's non-fungible and not all Bitcoins are created equally. And I know you have a bit of a story with that. <laughs> I was trying to prompt you in because since I was doing the research for for this interview, I found a very interesting article online. So would you want to tell your, your story well, with got, the police? I've got a ton of different stories. I'm wondering which one you've, you've read online. Um, but the one, yeah, which was most memorable is, I mean, was when I first got into crypto for the very very beginning, right? Because my, my journey started in 2014. I was a Bitcoin broker. So I would buy wholesale Bitcoin at the likes of exchanges and sell it to the retail market for a small market, right? I was doing really well. And yeah, we did just, just trading Bitcoin. And one day in the morning, it was, I think it was maybe half six here in, uh, near, near London where I live. And we hear a big bang on the door and we're like, I'm like, what the hell? And my girlfriend goes downstairs to answer the door for unmasked, uh, uh, sorry, un, well, not in police uniform. They bust up the, the stairs and run into my bedroom. Are you Peter Wood? Are you Peter Wood? I'm like, yeah. They're like, we're arresting you on suspicion of, uh, I think it was credit card fraud. I can't remember. What, I think it was credit card fraud, right? Just get arrested. I go through the whole process. You can imagine how scary that is, right? For the first time, never, like, never been in trouble my whole life. I'm assuming, uh, I'm assuming up to this point you had never committed a credit card fraud. Uh, and I, I mean, I haven't. I mean, it's, yeah, I've, I've never been never been charged with anything. I haven't done I haven't done anything. It was by the time you get to the. I mean, I had a full time job then as well, which is a scary thing because I remember getting into the police station and they said to me, "Right, who do you want to call? Is there anyone you want to speak to?" And I said, "Look, I need to call work because I can't turn up to work. Like you've, you've arrested me." And they were saying, don't worry about that. Like, they're going to find out soon enough that um, you won't be able to turn up to work, implying that the police have gone to my work to confiscate all my PC and my laptop and stuff. What if what actually happened was I remember going to the police interview and they gave me this, this piece of paper. I right? put it on put it on the table and they showed me this piece of paper. And I can't remember, it was like Operation something. It was me at the top of this, like, like I'm the linchpin of this massive organization of, like, credit card fraud. And they put me at the very top, like, of this food chain. I was like, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> And what had happened, because I sell Bitcoin, well, selling, buying and selling Bitcoin, right? Someone had sent money to my bank account to buy the Bitcoin, then used it on the national railways to buy season tickets, I think, and then sold them for to other people. So the link that the police, I mean, they're much different. Police are so much better now. They ring rather than knocking down the front door. But back then, what they would do is they would kick down the front door and then ask questions later. Okay. Um, but the, but the, the paper trail was this guy is sending me money they look at his bank account. There's like regular payments to me for Bitcoin and that's how it began. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, that's, it's, it's not, the police are a lot more, uh, well, a, a lot slower to, to kick down front doors now. They'd much rather call me or email me, asking me, ask me for questions, but obviously I've done nothing wrong and I was released, but that was, that was actually what kickstarted me to get into business because at that point I thought, um, right, I've done nothing wrong at all. And the guys at my work, like I've just, I was always thinking of leaving anyway and start my own business. And at that point, I thought I'm just going to start my own business in Bitcoin. And that's so there, there's, there's always some positives you can draw from things like that. You were the so basically you were running your own crypto exchange well, like people used to do back in the day. Right. Like I still use local Bitcoins every now and then. And it's just the gateway you would do. Bitcoins going to escrow. Um, there is an arbitrage system and you hope for the best, basically. That's that's the website we use, right? It's localbitcoins.com. Uh, we 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 became we 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 were the largest cryptocurrency brokerage in 
at the beginning of 2015 and we still are so if anyone goes on local bitcoins and buys bitcoins or sell bitcoins for for bank transfer in the uk if you're a regular user no doubt you would have used one of my guys right i mean it first began it was just me doing a lot of trading but for you to be able to scale a business like as big as we got it to by 20 i mean started in 2014 with with like a thousand pounds in my bank account by 2017, we've done 100 million turnover, right? To, to get that that growth over a short period of time, you need to automate, you need to hire devs, you need to hire more support staff. So um, we've got like five brokers on there operating at the minute. But we, yeah, we, we established ourselves as the largest largest brokerage in 2015. And to date, we still are in the UK market. It's the largest brokerage. Do you know if people still run this type of businesses, say in Binance P2P, or is that time to do that over now? Have the market moved past that opportunity? The market still exists, but we reached a point where the competition was speeding up more quickly than the demand was for the tokens, right? So it's not great for us because there's more, more competition in the space, there's more to be shared in terms of demand, so you see volumes going down. What we had were, I mean, we've always been above the law. We've always been like pro-regulation for the future of cryptocurrency. So we done things correctly. We done our, our KYC check, so ID verification, proof of address verification. And more recently, speaking about the UK in specific, they introduced um, something called the crypto asset regulation, which is a is a regulatory thing requirement in here. And um, we were one of not many brokers who are able to continue trading post this this deadline. So. For us, it was great, right? Because all these brokers have fell off the market because if they continue, it's illegal. But we knew from day one, this is the approach we wanted to do. We wanted to do the right checks with our customers and ensure longevity of a project. So it's picked up again. Um, but I think in terms of peer-to-peer -peer markets, in my opinion, like local Bitcoins is, is, the, is the, the grandfather of peer-to-peer. Of, of -peer. I don't think anyone will catch up to it. In terms of volume, if it's not on peer-to-peer, -peer, it'll just go to mostly centralized or decentralized exchanges. Right. And there is a big process for companies to be able to to receive payments in fiat currency and turn it into uh, into cryptocurrencies. So can you elaborate a bit on are there any interesting points along the road for this? Is there anything that people could be interested in or is it just file paperwork endlessly until you get a license? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of paperwork, right? So what we've got to be able to prove is that we comply with anti-money laundering regulations. And it's not as, there's like CV checks, background checks. They've got to make sure you're you're suitable for the role, that like you have the right qualifications, you're capable of doing the job. So um, it's a bit like applying for any regulation in any country. It's a real time sink. It's going to take you a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of resources. You may need to bring in additional people. It's not an easy application to go for. So um Yeah, we, we we prepared for it, I think, for maybe three or four months before the application went in. But um, it's when we first began, or when I first began my business, it was a bit of a free-for-all. Anyone could buy and sell cryptocurrency because they weren't, the regulators took like a sit-back-and-watch approach. So they wanted to learn what was happening in the space and let it flourish right. and grow, and then made a decision to, to introduce regulation, which happened, yeah, sometime last year. So you have this... Um... <laughs> this process for people to be able to to sell and cryptocurrencies and everything and that's where the non-custodial part plays out right at the end these wallets serve two different functions one is being able to receive money and turn it into crypto and there is to connect you to to the blockchain right for it to actually be non-custodial. So what are the common misconceptions that you encounter along the road or what's the hardest point where you have to educate users? Yeah, so what I'd like to make clear to everyone is that when we, if you think of it like this, right, you download one single app. This is what will be in, at the end of June. This is what the product will look like. You download one single app and then you have the option of setting up a custodial wallet, a non-custodial wallet or both. Right, you have the entire option. If you go down the non-custodial route, so the, the private keys you manage, your own crypto, there's no KYC, right? It's decentralized. You manage it yourself. You can interact with the with um, smart contracts and whoever in, in the Ethereum uh, blockchain. But if at some point you wish to sign up for the custodial side, that is the regulated product. That's the bit that needs the KYC that you're going to have to onboard and do the ID and then proof of address verification. So what we want to make clear is that This app can exist entirely by itself if you just want to use the non-custodial wallet. Because maybe you really like 
the functionality that we provide you and you know where you buy your inferior maybe it's from a dex you deposit it to the non-custodial part of the part of the app and you can interact freely but what we say is what we want to encourage and, and introduce is this really smooth transition from CeFi into DeFi. so let's say you're an nft purchaser and you've made well, i mean crazy amount of money recently 20x let's say on your on your nft and you wanted to cash it out for fiat so we enable customers to seamlessly move it back into fiat once they've done the onboarding process with us. And we want, we're the only one that's going to introduce the both sides within the centralized app. But the way we approach that in terms of regulation is firstly, we're going to move to Gibraltar. So that's, that's a key thing. The regulations are a lot clearer there in Gibraltar than it is in the UK. It's a bit, it's a bit haphazard and a bit, yeah, it's just, it's, it's not as clear cut as it could be Whereas Gibraltar's had this, um, distributed ledger technology uh, regulation for a couple of years now, I think. So we're moving out there where we can have the, the distinct separation of the two companies. We have the regulated Coinbird limited company and we have the non-regulated Coinbird DeFi company. But what you get as a user is when you download the app, you have the option of signing up for both sides of the wallet or just one or the other. And for the regular folk, because like we were saying with... <laughs> the mom example i bounced a couple ideas where we were just talking about crypto companies with my girlfriend the other day and she's on some crypto but not very much into crypto <clears throat> so and he's like yeah and this company is based here but they have offices in gibraltar and uh, yeah all of a sudden you catch your and the caimans or whatever all of a sudden you catch yourself thinking it's a bit shady right but it's basically you have to move where the regulation is the clearest Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I mean, um, I'm sure there are, I, can't, I don't know of any companies, but I'm sure there are companies who specifically move to certain jurisdictions to, to um, yeah, to try and sidestep any potential regulations. But what we're doing is completely, completely different, right? We're going to Gibraltar where the regulations are clear. What we don't like is the uncertainty. It's like, because the regulations have just been brought in in the UK, there's very, there's, there is this still aura of uncertainty about the direction it could take. So we're going out to Gibraltar for the regulation. We're not going out to say the Caymans or BVI to try and avoid the regulations. We're doing the exact opposite. And that's our approach. And I understand why people may say like, yeah, okay, you're, and you'll see it on a lot of, a lot of companies, right? They're, they're uh, an English speaking country, but they're jurisdictioned in, in Hong Kong or some other place. But um, what we want people to believe, and I think if you're going to add legitimacy to the space is to say, look, We, we're here for the long term. We can prove that by applying to the regulator. We've got the correct skill set. Skill set. We got we got the 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 amount of funding that's required, and I think that's the correct approach to 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 grow this space out. Is there any? Are there any fears when you move to say Gibraltar that yeah the regulation is clear in there, but it's a small country and as such they can steer the ship one way or the other quite faster than say the UK or even Mexico for that matter, which is a huge country. Are, are there any fears that the regulation could suddenly shift towards something very different and you get your doors shut by the authorities or is that something that's out of the door right now? I, I don't have any fears. I mean, mainly there's a couple of reasons. I mean, number one is we, we took a bit of a sit and wait approach. We wanted to see if this DLT regulation would change quite quickly because The same way with the UK, right, when you bring out something quite fresh and quite new, there's always that chance or higher chance at the beginning of the release that something may shift. They may pivot towards one direction or another. But when you've had this regulation out in Gibraltar, which has been around for at least a couple of years, you'd think it's quite steady and quite solid. So the chances of that shifting quite quickly are quite slim. But I, um, yeah, I wouldn't create a, like a direct link between like the size of the country and how quick they could pivot. I think they've okay. got great life. They've been very attractive. There's a ton of... Um, ton of uh, cryptocurrency companies that went out there because they want the regulation which the uk wasn't offering and a lot of uk companies gone out there so i don't see any any concerns there at the minute and um yeah i i'm, I'm very happy with with being in gibraltar when, when we get set up in in a couple of months i also was wondering when because your company is very uk uk based you have made a lot of effort to be able to accept gdp gvp sorry pounds and you hear about different alternatives depending on where you are right in it's just the way companies and the markets operate in mexico people flock towards a certain exchange and a certain wallet here the same in argentina and i, I don't know do you do you 
see it as if you have to build a strong user base within your country before trying to expand and take over the world? Or is this just one big distributed effort that you make at all times? Or how do you market something in a market as crowded as wallets? Yeah, I mean, we always had this high level sort of five year, 10 year plan was how would you approach and grow and scale internationally? And I think the first step in that is always to build a, a solid product in the country that you know best which will be uk right you got to make sure there's product market fit you got to make sure that the uk uk customer are, are sufficiently supported to be able to do what they need to do on your platform and then once you're happy and you're content that it's quite a solid platform and that you've built out you've got the apps out then the next question is how can we scale internationally and that is exactly why we're taking funding now right is to be able to have this international scale up growth that we need to have so one of the clear things that we need to do is to increase the number of payment methods we have so if you think of it like a funnel like the opening funnel we want to expand that funnel right no longer are we just a uk gvp and, and euro european business as well we want to introduce card payments right we can take 70 different currencies um, we have the regulation uk as well which is great is it allows when you say can we market ourselves in different countries by saying that you have the regulation in the uk it's quite it's that is they're much more accepting because they know you've gone through the due diligence process and, and, and everything that's needed to get this regulation. So um, it's all to plan, right? We wanted to create this product, make sure it works. It's, 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 it's stable and strong. And then by taking this funding, it's exactly the, the, the next step in, in the evolution of creating this international brand. <laughs> Here's just one thought that I was having. Um, you don't look like a banker. <laughs> You're not dressed like <laughs> a banker. Your office doesn't look like a bank. And every time I talk to someone in the wallet business, like, yeah, it's the same. It's how people in tech or in crypto look and how their offices look. I was talking to the founder of Keiko Wallet the other day, a quite big wallet for Monero, and he was in just in his bedroom with his dog running around and everything. Do you? <laughs> how do you think this makes for the perception outside of the industry? Uh, are we just still a bunch of crazy dudes doing things with magic internet money, or is are things looking more legitimate from the bank perspective or from the regulator's perspective even yeah i mean to begin with cryptocurrency has only been like just over just over 10 years right the industry has only been born just over 10 years so naturally what we found is that in i mean i'm sure I'm, i'm sure it's the same for a lot of other founders but i've always been into it i've always been into gaming and sort of this nerdy side of things and i think that is aligned with a lot of other crypto founders that are in this in this space who started off early right Um, I think in terms of making it approachable, I mean, you're seeing a lot of investment funds and um, getting into the space now, whether they want to put, whether it's Elon Musk with Tesla or MicroStrategy putting, putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet, they're seeing this, say Bitcoin specifically, as a genuine investment asset. And for me, it's, look, I've got the, the power and the hunger and the, and the strategic um, prowess to, to execute what I need to do in the crypto space. But it makes sense to bring on some of the older figures who are, more traditional, more in the finance world to bring that side of things. Because I guess like me, I, I don't come from a traditional, even a traditional business background. I guess when I started, I, I didn't have any huge ambitions to be a business owner. I just loved IT. I've worked, I worked at a university. I worked at a hospital, just generally in IT. And I've come from that, that, that way. So I think I'm, um, I mean, in terms of not working at these large corporations, maybe it's a San Francisco startup in Silicon Valley, right? That's not my background. I haven't I haven't worked in, in banks or large industries to sort of uh, hone my skills. It's been very much just like just figuring out as we go along. And I think we've been quite successful, but it reaches a point where you need to bring these more, uh, I guess, these older heads on board from, from more established industries like fintechs and banks and stuff like that. And that's partly why we've brought on a number of advisors who to help us on that side. And we will be making some strategic highs in, in the space to help us bulk up that knowledge from from that point of view and speaking about these figures yeah typical san francisco figure in a suit and let's call it gary v <laughs> if you talk about a, a seasoned market player like a dude like that and all of a sudden you see them on linkedin promoting nfts and promoting these images of the cats that are selling for millions and whatever you do get the feeling that this is sort of a bubble that they're inflating right so 
Oh, yeah, what would you say to the people that think NFTs are a bubble or NFT art is a bubble that's about to pop at any point? What's remaining if it is a bubble and if it pops? And Or where do you draw the distinction of what's worthwhile? And of course, there must be certain pieces that aren't. Yeah, I mean, people called Bitcoin a bubble back in 2017, right? And, and when the bubble pops, they thought it was the end of Bitcoin. Four years later, you say it's stronger than ever, right? And I'm sure there'll be, like any traditional, uh, any finance markets, right? You always have this this uptick in, in interest and volume, and then it, it it tops off, and then you have this big decline. The thing about NFT, I think at a very, uh, a, a very deep level, it's so interesting as a concept. I think there's so many use cases that, although I do feel that it is being inflated by these guys who are trying to get into the space and make a quick buck, When, when it does, and it will eventually, because it, every financial market or anything does have this decline, what's actually left behind is it'll be a ton of more investment, like, my, like in our company, who are building specifically for NFTs. And it, the products doesn't, don't completely flourish over three to six months. Like we're building out the infrastructure now. You have to take the investment first and you build out a product over 12, 24, 36 months. So I think like Bitcoin, what we saw was a ton of investor interest in 2017, which caused the hype a ton of investment into, into crypto companies back then as well. And then it quietened down for a few years. But again, you see the, the, the growth of all these businesses which took the investment at that period to cause another spike. I'm, I'm certain NFTs would be no different. There is, a, yeah, just to add to your point, how long has Ethereum been around? And when did you start hearing about DeFi? Things and products take a time to flourish even when the, infrastructure is sort of built to be able to power them but then people need to come up with the ideas they need to test them they need to do it some would even argue at the right time and with that uniswap b3 is coming and of course there's a lot of excitement in DeFi. there's a lot of uncertainty even but the good kind was you see that people are expecting things to blow up even further what are your comments on that what are you expecting from from this launch yeah i mean i don't know how long i mean you've talked about ethereum ethereum has been around for ages smart contracts have been around for ages as well but it's when you create sort of layer one solutions or very deep level solutions right it's not something that could be spun up overnight it needs a ton of development it needs a ton of investment a ton of testing And then once it's released, it needs a massive uptake of community. And that whole process takes many years. It's not something that you can do overnight. But eventually you see this turning point where a product like a, a killer app, maybe like NFTs uh, in terms of the artwork, um, becomes very usable in the space. And there's a lot of interest from the retail market where it creates this, this, yeah, this huge boom and this, this huge um, uh, uptick in, in interest. But Yeah, I, 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 no doubtedly, I mean, these, some of these layers, we were, what we're seeing now in Ethereum are the problem with transaction fees, right? There's a lot of uh, too high the gas fees, right? A lot of people aren't being able to buy these NFTs that they want to be able to purchase because it, it's sort of pricing them out of the game. So you have all these layer two solutions pop up, but again, it takes time. It's, it's like, like uh, I, think it's, I think it's called Optimism and, and like see Matic and, and Polygon uh, spin out, but these take a while to, to build out and, and test and make sure it's scalable in the way it does. But Again, I think, I mean, DeFi is here to stay, in my opinion. It's here to stay for, for the long time. It was only recently we've seen the, the, the interest. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer. Exactly what I mean. That's why we're building towards this solution, right? Because we're big believers in, in, in NFTs and, and DeFi quite, quite generally. generally. Well, and you would even argue that DeFi started back when you were selling Bitcoin out of local Bitcoins, right? That was like the ghetto version of, of the current DeFi market. So I think, uh, I mean, we've covered, we've covered a lot. We can sort of start wrapping up the, the interview. So if you want, before we wrap up, what would you like people listening to this to do? I know I'd like them to subscribe to the podcast if they haven't already. But what about CoinBob? Where would you want them to learn more about you? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the best way to do it is follow us on Twitter. Um, you'll see links to our Telegram groups on there. You'll see links to our Discord groups on there. We want to build a really strong community base, community base to help build out this product with us. And of course, you get rewarded for, the, for, for building this out. It's, we're going to create this amazing community where we want to introduce people. So search for us on Twitter, CoinBert. Give us a follow. Uh, check out all our updates. Ton of new and interesting stuff happening over the next, uh, next few months. And um, 
yeah, I'm sure you'll you'll enjoy being part of our community if uh, if that's what you're after as well. You're the, I mean, as far as I know, you're the only one offering these kind of systems, right? Where you're actually doing the ruffles, you're doing all this. Well, you're going to be doing all this new stuff. Do you see these items being liquid enough for for people to? to have a higher incentive rather because I know that if you earn a token, let's say a sword for one game and you're not a particular player for that game, you might not be interested too much into that. But yeah, what is there a liquid enough market to make this attractive for everyone? Yeah, I mean, firstly, in terms of liquidity, I mean, if you look at any NFT marketplace trading volume, it's just through the roof recently. Like People are buying loads of different entities for loads of different users. I think something quite cool that we're building that I maybe didn't cover uh, before when I spoke about it is that these raffle tickets that we're going to give out uh, uh, that you that you earn when you stake burps are actually NFTs themselves. So when you get these NFTs, right, as the raffle ticket, you have the option of entering the raffle for that month or not, right? Maybe there's a specific partner that you think maybe uh, it's not really my thing. I don't really want swords or hats, but there's a partner for next for next month, maybe Avastars, which I, I love Avastars, right? So you have the option of either staking that raffle ticket or, or, or using the raffle ticket for this particular month or holding on to it. You don't need to contribute for that month because maybe you don't like it. So it creates this really cool economy where people can come in and out of the raffle tickets and they can buy these raffle ticket NFTs of OpenSea and enter a, a, a raffle for a one month or not they have the uh, they have the option so um it, but if you're talking about liquidity i have no yeah no qualms there i think we're gonna we've seen any, a lot of nfts um especially like us who have this this keen focus on nfts where we want to grow this whole nft infrastructure out completely um i, I don't think we'll have any issues with with being able to trade it and, and the liquidity that will be available there and when you talk about avastars for those that might not know it So Avastar's a great guy called Jim, who's who's the CEO of Avastar's. It's a bit like an avatar. Like, you know, you go on Twitter and you have your picture of your, your own face. Well, why not have these generative NFT um, NFTs, which every single one of them is unique. And they it's a, it's like a picture of a man or a woman in, in like an av- avatar, like the movie, if you've seen the movie. And that sort of looks a bit like that. But they have all these different characteristics, right? Different eyes, different hair, different hats, different color. Um, but it's your own unique on-chain as well, right? The metadata will be stored on-chain instead of being stored off-chain on a, on a server somewhere. Um, your own avatar. And yeah, they're blowing up recently. I know they're doing a ton of good stuff behind the scenes because they're on our cohort with Outlier Ventures when we join this accelerator. So take my word for it. Get in on, on Avastars. They're an amazing bunch of people. And um, yeah, there's some really cool stuff. Just check them out on, on Twitter. And um- Yeah, part of the revolutionary side of the NFT technology, not so much the arts, but the technology itself, is this, right? Allowing people to put their online footprint a bit deeper, well, to to make a deeper footprint to establish themselves in the digital world. As another guest was saying before, do you... And obviously, here comes sovereign digital identity right being able to have one immutable identity on the web that you can use for everything sort of like a meta mask for your passport or whatever functions you can imagine for that what else are you excited when it comes to nft dtech being applied into the into the world yeah i mean the, the key thing that they call it is the metaverse right it's this other ulterior um Uh, alternative universe where you could exist as a different person and it is to do with like these yeah these headsets where you can get really immersed in these in these other locations and i think that that is the future people just love especially with i mean the digital age has been here for a while and it's only growing like people were just consumed by their laptops and digital features and to be able to create your own world and interact with people in this metaverse i think is such an interesting and cool concept NFTs are clearly moving towards that direction where NFTs can represent a bit of land in Decentraland or like a person or equipment. Um, and yeah, I, I, I wholly believe that, that that's going to be a huge part of our future when we're moving towards this digital metaverse um, world. Um, and I'd love to listen back to this podcast in, t- say, 10 years' time and see if, yeah, see if I got it right. But um, I'm sure it'll be huge. I mean, we've already seen a, 
Decentraland and places like that are already massive and I'm, they're, they're continuing to grow at a really good pace. You're right. I'm about to get full fanboy here, but like, I never thought about this. I never thought about like maybe um, NFTs being the vehicle for us to mix the real and the virtual world and the gaming world. And then Black Mirror episode, <laughs> you can get the the line gets pretty thin, right? Like all of a sudden you own things that are virtual that only exist in this game but they're worth money and when you put in your headset and your VR glasses or whatever, it looks and feels real. So what's real and what's not? Yeah, like it's incredible to think about this. Yeah, I mean, I'm certain that that's the future and where we're going. There's, um, you see movies, you see Black Mirror on Netflix or anything like that where they portray this idea of like a really techie future where people are immersed in this metaverse and um i mean i love anything sci-fi right anything like that is so interesting to me and um the graphics aren't quite there yet in in places like decentraland of that but i mean um the immersion within this metaverse is is for me i think it is the future for where people are going to end up and especially the tradable economies the marketplaces being able to earn now you talk about axes infinity right that's axes infinity people can actually i've seen people earn a living in some of the poorer countries right because they're they're like you can you can win you, know, you pay and win uh, when you play you win um like tokens like love potions right and they can sell them and it's like more than a wage they would get on a monthly basis so they're creating these massive yeah these universes where people are able to to not only exist but earn a living and um yeah that's that's the future for me well that's something that's happening even on reddit because reddit is now the reddit cryptocurrency subreddit is now paying in crypto to people that get a lot of upvotes on their community and people from africa are just using it to farm the currency because it gives them a decent payday if they have a successful meme and it's becoming a bit of a problem and yeah this Two worlds are suddenly merging in ways that maybe no one even thought possible at a deeper level. And you touched, and I've been trying to get someone on the podcast to talk about this, albeit not as hard, but I've been trying to get someone to talk about blockchain games. Because, yeah, we haven't had a blockchain game, right? The one that changes everything for everyone. How do you see the general blockchain game panorama right now? I mean, I, I think it's super interesting. The, the big blocker we're having is just everything's on Ethereum. Everything's just too expensive. The interactions that you're having and like Axis Infinity is just, it's just too expensive to, to interact on a consistent basis, right? I think it's really cool. The idea of creating this, this game that operates on blockchain, um, yeah, is, is again where I would like the future to go to, where people actually get rewarded for playing. I mean, they say, right, if you're, if you're not paying for the products, like you are the product. Um, and and for us to be able to yeah contribute to games like what Sandbox.game are doing, where creators within the game can actually earn money and win money, and it's actually for the creators. It's built for the creators, and they work together in a collective world rather than all the the game publisher is the one that makes that creams all the money at the top. And um, yeah, I, I I I think there's a big future for it. I just whether another blockchain will take over Ethereum to support the, these sort of games, I'm not quite sure. Depends how quickly we can get this, this scaling solution of ETH2 out. I mean, I know it's not scheduled for a year or two, and I know these layer two solutions are coming out, but at $20, $30, $40 a, 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 token, a transaction on ETH, it's like, right. yeah, it's not, it's, not, it's not quite there yet for me. We need some really, really like, fraction of a cent transactions to make this um, a feasible solution in the long term do you think people will ever get used to money and video games being mixed so deeply together because that's a a valid pushback point that i hear a lot for blockchain games like people don't want everything to be just about money especially when they're having fun yeah, it's it's that's interesting. Um, it it depends how the how the project's been started up and how it's structured, right? I think what the guys again, actually, Infinity have done a really good job is that they incentivize users and players of the game by rewarding them for playing it. And I think that's how the struct needs to be a sustainable structure in the long term for that to for that to continue. Um, but yeah, it's 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 just it's just an, for me, it's a very interesting topic because I'm just. I'd love for it to flourish. I'd love for it to carry on. And um, it's, it's whether it will continue existing on ETH or not and or whether 
someone like you never know like flow or or even layer two scaling solutions like polygon will, will come up and, and, and move a lot of the um a lot of the volume over but um yeah i mean super interesting for me i'm not too familiar with axis how do you okay they're, they're able to reward users but how, how do they earn the money in order to be able to reward the users for for playing or for creating things in game Yeah, so my understanding is they built this sustainable model where, I mean, for example, when we create our token, right, we have buckets of allocations for certain reasons. Maybe some of it's for private investment, some of it's for the team, some of it's for the ecosystem. So what they've done is created this ecosystem fund, which is able to reward customers or to incentivize them to continue playing in the same way that we would create this bucket for staking rewards, right? We would have this staking reward bucket which uh, allocates X amount of tokens per day or per month. And that can be paid out as interest for, for anyone who stakes their, their token. So yeah, within Axis Infinity, it's the same concept. They build out this staking reward mechanism or this, this, this ecosystem fund mechanism that when people play the games, they're incentivized because they win, they, they get return stuff like love potions, which is, is one of their in-game currencies, but it's an ERC 20, right? So CRC 20, it can be traded on, on, on Uniswap at least, or, or some of the large ones, but Yeah, that's my understanding of how they're able to to um, to finance that that portion of it. And that's a bit how. I mean, it's a some may call it late stage capitalism here, but nowadays, if we go full blockchain model, every company is going to do this right at some point. They're gonna have to have their own financial department take care of all these DeFi whatever interactions make sure that they're able to provide rewards to offer liquidity. Are there any other implications that I may, I might be missing here when it comes yeah, to blockchains being implemented and the future looking like this? Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about maybe existing game publishers or creators in, in the space who create games for say PS4 or Xbox, I think initially they'll have to create their own token. I think that's where it's at, right? Creating their own token on Ethereum, like an ERC20 token that's super popular. And they can, I mean, as yeah, I mean, in, in the same way that I guess artists are being attracted to NFTs, to minting their own NFTs and, and create a load of hype and interest there. And then, of course, a lot of money along the way as well. I think what we'd love to see is one of these existing game publishers create their own token, which would exist in DeFi world where they could sufficiently incentivize users of their platform rather than it being a, a one way street, right? where the user or the player needs to buy off them, buy, buy, buy to get it's like a put like a, a pay to win sort of strategy. Um, I think if they want to be able to finance it and yeah, to, to provide this, this ecosystem and economy for a customer, they need to issue their own token. And I think if we start, if we see one of them, I think that one of these game publishers create this, this mechanism that is able to do that. I feel the floodgates will open in the same way that, flow have with nba top shots right created this cool nft which can exist and show moments in in nft fashion and it's just opened the doors for all these other players to get into the space and create a similar project and i feel the same thing would happen with tokens yeah that's what i was thinking because the nba made such a big hit with this and i'm sure it didn't even cost them that much to produce their moments thing and is fifa the biggest sports video game over there right now they're probably planning something to do with nfts right they must be doing something in the background Definitely. yeah um, i mean we've had a couple of conversations behind the scenes not with fifa but with some sport uh companies who are looking to get into the same thing because if you from an economic point of view or commercial point of view the cost to actually create the product create the nfts in the moment is very cheap relative to the amount that they can make and they can profit so Um, in terms of a, if I put my business hat on and I approached it, right, if you create your own, yeah, create your own NFT or moment, which you need some designers to do it, the, the startup costs are very low, but the potential to make money are way higher. Like the upside potential is huge compared to the cost that you need to, you need to put in. It's a lot of, a, like a lot of, that's what you're seeing with a lot of these artists, right? Amazing artists that are creating this, these amazing artwork. I mean, time is money, of course, but in terms of how much they need to pay to create that, It's very cheap. They just have a Photoshop or some video editing software on their on their laptop. Um, and it's costing very little to create this amazing NFT, which sells for tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And of, of course, that's what I was, and that's what I was referring to. The, the, the NFL or the NBA probably 
they spent probably what a day a month doing the mom the moment thing and then they make the millions back so what do you say to the hater of this that that uses precisely this argument to yeah ju just to take a hit on nfts that these companies printing money basically Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be these these type of companies that get into it. Anything which raises the awareness of the technology for me is 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 a is a positive, right? And of course, there are going to be people that try to um, yeah try to make a load of money and uh, opportunistic companies that try to make a chunk of money. But in all of this, NFTs are being spoken about everywhere. I just watched a uh, there's this Amer I don't know if you heard of it called Saturday Night Live. They released this little this parody sketch of what what are NFTs. Uh, I think it was like a couple of days ago. I know I didn't mention um, it's like, oh, have a look. It's like, I mean, that's when they say like that's the top, like, or maybe that is the top when they when they start releasing stuff like that. But um, check it out. There's a Saturday Night Live sketch or skit or whatever they call it of like what is NFTs, and that's I mean Saturday Night Live is a huge program over in America. Um, I see it on the news outlets here, and for me, yeah, it's it's all about raising awareness, and it's just it, for me, it, it, it is it's more positive than not. I'm okay. just seeing um, okay. I've, I've, this Mac might die of battery. It's not it's not my Mac, so just to <laughs> let you know, this, this laptop might just die any minute now. No, no, I, I was just thinking that that's a perfect place to wrap up. Like, like you said, there's no such thing as bad publicity. You saw with Bitcoin and the black market type of talk. In the end of the day, Bitcoin is not even used in the black market anymore, and it got a bunch of free publicity. So this might just be these for NFTs, Pete. Thanks a lot. Any parting thoughts? Check out our app, check out our Twitter, sign up to, and follow us on Twitter or, or check our apps on, on iOS and Google Play Store. Just search for Coinbird, you'll be able to find us. And uh, yeah, love to hear from what people think of their feedback. Drop, join us in Telegram, um, join us on Discord. You'll find all the details on, on Twitter and love to hear from you. I'm sure a lot of people in gaming that are listening to this are just got interested in Coinbird because it's always nice to see a company supporting the same values as you. It's always nice to see a company that's created by someone like you. Like you said, you come from gaming, you understand this, you want to make products for it. So I think it, it <laughs> the logo's amazing. <laughs> There's a lot of positive things that might just, and this is the thing, right? Like with, not everything being huge banks, not everything being huge institutions. You get to choose whatever quirky company is sort of like you and go for them. So I think that's, for me, the greatest thing of all this. Pete, thanks a lot. Cheers. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it.